So, so good to be with you all this morning, and um, what a great day. And my name is Joanna, and I'm on staff here, and this is Greg, and Greg and I have served together at some of our first responder dinners, and where, where else do you like to serve, Greg? Joanna, as you know, I serve wherever you tell me to serve. <laughs> that is such a great answer. <laughs> As Joanna said, my name is Greg. Welcome to church this morning. We're so thankful that you're here. Uh, We want to uh, let you know if you are a first-timer, we have Connection Central uh, stations, two in the lobby and one out on the patio, and uh, we have people there that are eager to welcome you uh, and to answer any questions that you may have. So thank you so much for being here this Sunday. Yeah, and we just want to do a shout-out to those of you watching online and on the patio. And um, today is the second week of Advent, and it's about peace. And let's just be honest, how many of you felt totally at peace when you got up this morning and were running around to get to church on time? Because I was like, oh, I'm glad it's about peace today. As you stand this morning, greet someone, please, and uh, let them know whether you prefer multicolored lights or clear white lights on your Christmas tree.
hope in this day and age, in this moment right now, because Christ is with us. One day he will come back and he will redeem this all unto himself. And right now as well, we have access to the hope that is in Christ. And so much of what that song is about is where we place our gaze, right? Looking unto Jesus. There's a phrase, and maybe you've heard it, but it's, you become what you behold. You become what you behold, and in essence, what it means is what we choose to give our attention to shapes and forms us, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. Or you could say what, what you place your focus on becomes magnified. How many times have you had like an issue or a problem come up and it's like your brain is just like constantly fixated on it? And it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you go into this spiral, right? Because you're placing your focus on it. In the same way, when we choose to place our focus on Christ, on Jesus, on his word, that is what becomes magnified. That's what becomes magnified in us. We become formed, we become shaped. And in this day and age, we are offered so many places to fix our attention. It's everywhere. It's when you're scrolling on social media. It's what you see on the news. It's everywhere. And it takes discipline in this day and age to choose to say, I'm going to fix my focus on Jesus. And this is an important church because I don't know about you, Jesus is not coming back for what music did you listen to? What were you wearing? How big was your church? Whatever it is. He's coming back for a pure bride. And that's what I want to be on board with. I want to be a pure and holy offering to my Jesus when he comes back and when I meet him in glory. And the way that is formed and shaped is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It is the most important place you can fix your gaze on. So this morning, we're gonna sing this as a prayer. Christ, be magnified in me. That we would allow the Holy Spirit to even search us. Y'all, repentance is good. It means you're getting right with the Lord. It's not a scary thing, it shouldn't be a scary thing. I don't know about you, but I wanna be pure. I wanna be pure, I wanna be pure. And if that means God burning some stuff away, praise God. Christ be magnified in me. You can have all the other stuff. Christ be magnified in me. Amen. So let's sing this as a prayer. Let's invite, yes, amen. Give it, yes. Amen to Jesus. Amen to Jesus, right? So let us sing this prayer. I invite us all. Can we just go in together? Can we go in together into this moment with a heart that's hungry, with a heart that says, God, do something to me this morning because I want to be pure offering. I want to be you to be magnified in me. So let's sing this together. Let's cry out to the Lord. One cry. 
have a seat for just a moment. I want you to allow your heart to just, again, turn your attention, turn your affections towards God, but more specifically, with expectation. We didn't just gather in here today and in this space today just simply to sing some songs and to hear some words. We gathered in this space today in order to encounter the living God. And we didn't just gather here today to remember what God has done. We remember what he has done because we know that in the story of God coming to earth and wrapping himself in human flesh and coming as a babe in the manger, that we serve a living God who is faithful. And because he has been faithful in the past, we can trust that one day he will return and make all things new and he will be faithful again. And so last week, we were reminded of that hope. And this week, we're reminded that in a world of chaos, in a world that sometimes feels like shifting sand or that there's uncertainty, that we have a God who brings peace into our lives. And so you can keep your eyes open or you can close your eyes to just allow yourself to focus in on God, but may you hear the words of this prayer as I read them over, over you today. You are holy, Lord, the only God, and your deeds are wonderful. You are strong. You are great. You are the most high. You are the almighty. You, Holy Father, are king of heaven and earth. You are three in one, Lord God, all good. You are good, all good, supreme good. Lord God, living and true, you are love. You are wisdom, you are humility, you are endurance, you are rest, you are peace, you are joy, and you are gladness. You are justice and moderation. You are all riches, and you suffice for us. You are beauty, you are gentleness. You are our protector, you are our guardian, and you are our defender. You are our courage, you are our haven, and our hope. You are our faith, our great consolation. You are eternal life. Great and wonderful Lord, God Almighty, merciful Savior. So this morning, as we have lit the candle that reminds us of your peace, may you be our peace in a broken place that we call home. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we invite you into this space. And God, I pray that if somebody is walking in here today and they feel like their life is in chaos or they feel like they're standing on an uncertain foundation. If God, even this season seems to stir up some unsettledness in them, hurts and wounds, would you as the Prince of Peace minister to them today? We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.
continue worshiping that Prince of Peace by inviting our ushers forward to receive our offering today. Um, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor David talk a little bit about um, some of the financial aspects of new life in our church family here and how so much of our budget that we um, get to plan all the ways that God is going to use our finances come in at the end of the year through um, end of year giving. And so I, I know this time of the year, you're kind of bombarded by all of that. You can't even like go on Wikipedia without them asking you for something. Um, but here's the cool thing is that through New Life, when you give at New Life, um, something miraculous happens because here, the truth of the matter is that we are not an organization. We are the body of Christ. And so when you give through New Life, um, it not only just blesses one particular thing, but it stretches across generations. It stretches across countries and the world. Um, in fact, this past week, we um, served hundreds of families at our Christmas market. We have a whole nother week of it. We were able to give out a hundred bags of food um, and cleaning supplies and dolls down in Guadalupe this week. Um, as David mentioned last week, we have over 200 students coming on Wednesday nights, um, four of which got baptized this week at the beach. Um, so God is continuing to move and um, by your generosity, that fuels all of those things. In fact, we um, we supported a missionary in Cuba this week too. So your money, like the money that you give to God doesn't just stay locally, it blesses all over the world. Because the truth of the matter is, is that even though it's so strange, like God chose for the church to be the hope of the world, that we are the body of Christ. And, and when we are as the body of Christ, this is eternal. Everything else fades away, but the hope of, of the world is in the church. And God chooses to, to partner with us, which is still just unfathomable to think of. But when you do give financially, it gets multiplied the same way that the, the bread and the fish got multiplied and how many more people are blessed. So thank you for those of you who give. You can give online. There's, there's um, in the lobby, there's iPads that are super easy to do. So if you feel the Lord nudging you to sort of just bless people through um, this end of the season, we would love and welcome that because God is truly working. And as Jenna said, this time of the year is really hard to keep our focus where it belongs, right? And so at New Life, we have a few ways that we um, are trying to help um, make sure that for ourselves and hopefully for you to, to keep our eyes on Jesus. If you haven't visited the prayer walk with all the fun lights, um, there's also prayer stations to kind of guide you um, through a time of prayer on the prayer walk. And it's also a great way to invite a friend um, as well to be like, hey, let's get some hot cocoa and go look at Christmas lights. And we're going to stop by the church um, because then you can um, introduce them to Jesus. You can introduce them to church, invite, us, invite them on our campus. Um, we have our Advent boxes. So if you have, if you already got one and reserved it, our ornaments did come in. So if you haven't gotten an ornament, you can get one today in the lobby. Um, if you got reserved an Advent box, and also next week is really exciting because it is our family Christmas where our kids will be leading us in worship, and that is um, not only just the cutest weekend of the year. It's also a great, another great opportunity to invite somebody. If you have a kid that's singing, you can invite grandparents, you can invite aunts and uncles to say, hey, come watch so-and-so sing in the choir. It's super cute. And so that's another great way to invite. Um, and also coming up is our Christmas Eve services. And so we are, because Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year, which is kind of funky, um, we're doing our normal Sunday morning services, 9 and 11, and also adding one at 1 o'clock. And honestly, guys, 
serving at a Christmas Eve service, joining the Christmas crew is like such a great way to plug in here at New Life. You get to meet some awesome people. You get to spend time, more time in God's house. And um, so if you can attend a service, serve a service, we would totally welcome that, whether it's kids, men. Um, we're only doing uh, babies through five-year-olds, so, um, but we still need some helpers for that and also, or ushers or greeters, just making this place feel welcome for anybody who might be visiting us. And so we would just also just love you to start praying about that, whether you want to serve or whether you want to invite somebody. We just hope that you would make us a part of your family traditions this year and be a part of our Christmas Eve services. And so as we prepare our hearts to hear from the word of the Lord, just let these words wash over you this morning. distractions and we enter in with expectation believing God that you have new spiritual food for us today and so as we open up your word God would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and our hearts to receive God would we be open to being corrected where we need to be corrected and challenged where we need we need to be challenged would we be open God to allowing you to encourage us in areas where we need to be encouraged and inspire us by your Holy Spirit. So God, we enter into this time with open hands, ready to receive what you have for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. So it's a unique time of, of the year that we enter into spaces. Sometimes this is an ongoing thing. And so for you, this might be uh, a message or, or a word to you today that, that maybe you wrestle with because it's an ongoing thing or an ongoing um, problem or challenge or relationship that you have in your life. But for many of us, it is around this time of year that um, all of a sudden the relationships that we have that quite aren't in sync get exposed more than any other time of the year. 
And so in a couple of weeks, you're going to be gathering around a, a Christmas table or on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And so let's just kind of separate something right now. How many people have their big dinner on Christmas Eve? Raise your hand if you're a Christmas Eve person. All right, awesome, very cool. How many people are Christmas Day individuals, all right? How many of people have done the sacrificial thing and like you have Christmas like the week before so that everybody can have, yeah, I see some hands there, all right? I know that's a thing as well. So as you gather together, I wanna ask you this particular question. Again, maybe it's at your work party, maybe it's at your uh, family gathering, no matter where you find yourself, when you gather together, who is not gonna be there, not because they've passed away, but who is not gonna be there because you have lost that relationship? Or who is there that you are in danger of losing that relationship? Who is not there because you have lost that relationship or who is there that you are in danger of losing that relationship? And really, um, if you wanna focus in on probably two of the major reasons that either somebody is not there or you are in danger of losing that relationship, they um, kind of be, can usually be narrowed down to usually two words, wounds and wrong. Wounds and wrong. Who is not there because, or are you in danger of losing that relationship because you either have been wounded or you wounded them? Who is, who is not there or, or you are in danger of losing a relationship because the wounds run so deep that, that they have literally said, I'm not coming this year. Who is not gonna be at that work party? Who's not gonna be at that family gathering? Who is not in your life currently or you are in danger of losing because the wounds run so deep? And the reality is, is that for some families, and I know this to be true, that for some families, the wounds run so deep that the next generation doesn't even understand why the wounds are still there. They just know that mom and grandma don't get along. They just know that dad and grandpa don't get along. There is just something that happened in the past and nobody is even fully aware of all the reasons why there are those wounds. They just know it's gonna be tension again. They just know it's gonna be stress again. And so maybe think of it this, this way. What are the thick walls of history or resentment that are going to be around your table? What are the thick walls of history and resentment, the wounds that have developed that are gonna be around your workspace or around the person that you haven't seen in a really long time? So the very first thing that you need to think about is like, are there people in my life that the wounds run deep, that, that the reason they're not in my life or the reason I'm in danger of losing this relationship is either I have caused a wound to them or they have caused a wound to me. The second one is a little bit more usually one that we have to own and that's I think they're wrong. So for some of us, it's wounds. For some of us, it's because their ideology or their voting habits or their belief in God or fill in the blank for you, there is something that you believe deeply and that they believe deeply. And because of that, you think each other are wrong and they are either not going to show up this year or you are in danger of losing a relationship because simply you guys don't see eye to eye. And maybe it's something that started over the last couple of years. Maybe it's a decade going back. But you know this, you've seen enough stuff on their social media that maybe you even had to block them. And you are dreading showing up and knowing I'm going to have to interact with this particular person and I think they are wrong. When all of a sudden, we see people who were made in the image of God and who 
can receive the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God, when we start to see those people as a threat rather than somebody that we see with grace, mercy, love, and compassion. So either my wounds or you're wrong. So again, I'll ask it this way. Who should be or will be around your table that your relationship is on life support? Or who should be or won't be at your table because that relationship is so fractured they're not coming? And into this world of wounds and into this world of finger pointing and I'm right and you're wrong steps Jesus. And he steps into this wounded world as the lyric of that song said. He brings his peace into our violence. Not just global violence, not just war, but into our relational violence. Because Jesus steps into this world not only to reconcile us or bring peace to our relationship with God. But he steps into this world to bring peace to our relationship to one another. And the reason that we know this is he actually speaks very specifically about it in his very first sermon that he preaches called the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter five is where we begin the Sermon on the Mount. And the first several verses within the Sermon on the Mount are called the Beatitudes. And in Matthew chapter five, verse nine, we read these words. God blesses those who work for peace, or you might be more familiar with this translation. God blesses the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God peacemakers. Maybe that's a new term to you. Maybe it's something you've heard, but you've never really kind of quantified or thought about. But let me frame it this way. I think for many of us, we are better at leaning into trying to be a peacekeeper than we are being a peacemaker. Peacekeepers are about keeping the status quo. It's about trying to make sure we walk on eggshells. We don't make anybody upset. We don't say anything that's gonna offend somebody or we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of try to keep the status quo. And so we are really good at trying to be peacekeepers. But when it comes to peacekeeping, you're restraining everything. You're not creating anything. And peacemaking is about creating something. Peacemaking is about allowing where there is no peace or there's conflict for peace to be created in those spaces. And so peacemaking is not killing somebody with kindness. That's actually our cultural framework. How do I kill somebody with kindness? That's not actually peacemaking. Peacemaking is not simply just being tolerant of the people around you. Anybody can be tolerant of people around you. It is not pure willpower. And here's the real challenging thing for us to consider. Peacemaking is not an extra characteristic of the follower of Jesus. It's not like, hey, you know what? If you're kind of a super Christian, if you're kind of an elite Christian, if you're a pastor, if you're a, little, if you're a really holy person, then you can participate in this idea of peacemaking. That's actually not what the scripture says. We are called to be peacemakers, and if you follow Jesus, you are called to be a peacemaker. I am called to be a peacemaker. So you might be asking, okay, that's a great idea, but like, what do we actually do if it's not just about keeping the status quo, if it's not just about trying to keep everything kind of calm and quiet and not ruffle any feathers, what is it that we're actually trying to create and how do we actually create it? I'm glad you asked because Jesus tells us. 
A little bit later on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he begins to define what it looks like to love one another and to love your enemy and what it looks like to create this type of peace in a world of violence, in a world of conflict. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard the law, or in some translations, you remember the phrase, you have heard it said. You have heard the law that says the punishment much must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Oh Lord Jesus, why did you have to speak this, right? If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Again, I think we're much more comfortable with trying to keep peace. I just won't do anything. I just won't say anything. I'll just try to walk on eggshells. I'll just try to keep everybody calm. I'll sit this person next to that person and that person next to that person. Some of you know the strain, right? But Jesus actually calls us to create or make peace, which isn't just about restraint, but actually leaning into the practices and purpose and plans that God has for creating peace. I wanna read to you the headings. So these aren't, so in our English New Testaments, we have headings for particular passages. And what I noticed is in studying for this particular text is that the headings for this particular passage focus on the negative, which means we lean towards the negative. Like, how do I restrain? How do I, what's the punitive nature of this particular passage? Rather than focusing on what's created and the positive form. Let me give you some examples. In the, in the English Standard Version or the ESV, the, this heading, and again, this is not in the original Greek. This is just what English translators use to help us understand what's getting ready to come up. In the ESV, it says retaliation. So the, the point of this passage is to tell us something about retaliation. In the NIV, it's an eye for an eye. And in the NLT or New Living Translation, it's about revenge. And every one of these subtitles prepares your mind to think, okay, what is the negative portion of this passage that I'm focusing on? But if you actually read the text, the focus is not on the negative, it's on what's being created. And so we tune our ears towards the negative implications of the text rather than the positive implications of what God is calling us towards. And so I want you to tune your ears in for just a moment to what God is asking us to create. The very first thing you need to notice is the phrase again, you have heard it said or the law says or the law has said this. And what I think is important about that is it shapes our heart and our mind towards understanding that there are times in our life where while all scripture is valuable, there are cultural moments that all of a sudden particular passages and particular portions of scripture come to the top because they are important to a particular cultural moment that we are experiencing. And there probably hasn't been a time in my life and maybe yours where we as a community, a body of believers, where you as a family, where you with your friends, with us as a society have been more divided and we have felt the tension more than any time in history. And so when we do that, Jesus is kind of saying, you have heard it said, 
This is what culture is like, and I'm gonna tell you what it means to follow Jesus. And so we should lean into that even when it's uncomfortable. But I know what the tendency is. When Jesus gives us really hard correction, when he gives us really hard teaching, our tendency is to say, but, 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 but Jesus, you don't know the nuance. But Jesus, you don't understand. But Jesus, you don't know what they did to me. But Jesus, you didn't. Let me, let me encourage you to do something today. It's something that's really important. Check your butt. <laughs> really important. Check your butt. Like, before you start to say, but, 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 check your butt and say, Jesus, I want you to correct me. Jesus, I want you to, to, to shape me. Jesus, I need to hear from you first. So check your butt and then allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to begin to shape you. Because again, our tendency is to push right back and be like, but you don't know Jesus. He does. He does. He knows. He knows. He knows. Jesus is speaking into their cultural minds and their cultural tradition. And they were tied to the law, which said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And that was actually grace-filled. See, we see that and we're like, what in the world is going on? It was actually grace-filled. See, what people would do is they would have a small infraction and and then the person who was wounded would take major retribution against that. So the whole point of the law was to bring equalness for what was done so that people couldn't take advantage of somebody when it was a really small infraction. But Jesus goes beyond that. He moves beyond that and he says, yeah, I understand that this is the cultural norm that you have grown up with, but I'm telling you a new way of following after me, of of reflecting our heavenly father. And I think it's really important for us to think about that because I would suggest that actually more than eye for an eye, more than tooth for a tooth, we have actually been shaped by our culture and how our culture responds to conflict. So for many of us, we've been shaped by our culture because we believe, whether we knowingly do this or it's just kind of beneath the surface, we believe in dealing with conflict in a way that understands conflict through the lens of karma. So what we do is we say, hey, if I'm nice to people, they'll be nice to me. If there's conflict, I'll be conflict. Like, like it's back and forth. Like what you sow out there is gonna come back to you, right? So we use that as a framework. And Jesus said, no, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you something different. We've also understood even more recently about how to deal with conflict and this idea of violence and hurt and wounds and wrongs with cancel culture. And so we've discovered this way of like, hey, you know what? If you're going to believe that or if you're gonna vote for that person or if you're going to leave the faith or you're not gonna believe in God anymore, I'm going to cancel you. You can't come to Christmas. Your nameplate's removed. Your presence, back to Amazon. And we find these ways of either said or sometimes even unsaid, aggressive or sometimes passive aggressive, of canceling people, of putting people in their place, of letting them know they are not welcome. But Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. Or let me say it this way, don't act like everyone else. 
which shouldn't be surprising to us because every time Jesus speaks about something that goes on in our lives, every time he speaks about something in our culture, he actually gives us a new way of understanding it. So when Jesus speaks about freedom, he speaks about it in a way that we don't understand freedom in our culture. When he speaks about surrender, he speaks about surrender in a way we don't understand it. And when he speaks about generosity, he speaks about generosity in a way that we don't understand. When he speaks about sexuality, he speaks about it in a way that we don't understand it. And all of a sudden, he's always constantly saying, hey, you have heard it say, but I tell you. And the way he begins to unpack it is he begins to use an idiom that people were really familiar with. He talks about being slapped on the right cheek. And the reason that, that what cheek that you're slapped on matters is because if you're slapped on the right cheek, you would have been slapped with the right hand. That means it's a backhand across your cheek, right? And so the person would backhand you. That, that idiom wasn't actually a physical assault. It was actually a verbal insult, which for us, again, sticks and stones may make, break my bones, but names will never hurt me, which is actually false because it does hurt and it does wound us, right? But in that culture, it was even more so because it's an honor and shame culture. And so when you were verbally criticized or verbally in front of everybody wounded, all of a sudden that took on a greater weight, and so Jesus is reminding them, not, hey, just keep going back and forth, keep going, just someone keep slapping you back. And, no, no, no. When somebody says something against you, don't match their vitriol. See, that's what we do, right? You say something to me, I say something to you, you wound me, I wound you, you give, you, you give me an argument for your person, I give you an argument for my person. And what a lot of people in today's culture wanna do is they want, it's like a matching of your energy, a matching of your frustration, a matching of your knowledge, a matching of fill in the blank for you. And Jesus saying, don't play that game. Don't kind of come at each other. You come at me, I come at you. You come at me, I come at you. He says, don't play that game. My followers don't look like that. They don't step into those scenarios. My followers are peacemakers. So what do peacemakers again look like? He says, if you have somebody ask you to go one mile, go with them a second mile. Again, for us, we're like, oh yeah, that's, that sounds nice, whatever. But again, the people standing there would have fully understood what he meant because in that day, you could have been asked by anybody who had a greater authority of, over you, especially the Roman occupying um, authorities, soldiers, people of that nature, and you could be hanging out with your family or imagine, you know, in our culture, you're playing with your kids and a Roman soldier comes by and says, hey, you, you need to do this with me right now and you had to get up and you had to leave and go do that. So a lot of people, again, they tried not to make probably eye contact with a lot of the Roman soldiers and stuff because they didn't want to get tossed into doing something that they didn't want to do. It's kind of like some of you with Joanne on the patio. You're like, okay, I'm a... <laughs> Joe, we love you, we love you. But for real, like, they would be asked to do it, and you had to do it. Otherwise, they could abuse you, throw you in jail, do whatever you want. Now, in the original language, we actually don't get the word mile. It's actually paces. So the, the calling was, hey, if someone asks you to go to 1,000 paces, go 2,000 with them. And so you would have to pick up the gear, you would have to move, you have to do whatever they asked you to do, and you would have to move in that direction. So I was thinking about it, I'm like, hey, what is something that I really don't like to help someone do that kind of puts it in perspective for me? I hate to help people move. <laughs> and it's not because I hate loading the truck. 
I hate it when I show up and somebody hasn't packed yet. Like that is what, like I'll help you load your truck, but I don't want to ha- help you pack your drawers, right? You can interpret that drawers any way that you want. So, so here, you, you've got to understand that like, again, for me, that, that's something like, and, and so it's just like a gut check for me. Like don't just help somebody load the truck, help them pack. And I'm creating something, I'm going over and above doing something for someone before they even actually asked. But I'm willing, if you ask, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go not just 1,000 paces, I'm gonna go 2,000 paces. I'm gonna help you pack. And the third area that we look at is in the area of generosity. So you look at this area of like, hey, I'm gonna do something for you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not react, I'm gonna do f- something for you, and then there's generosity, right? And that one's even really challenging because you look at it and go, hold on a second, so you're saying that I have to go over and above as a generous person, and Jesus saying, yeah, because everybody does kind of the bare minimum minimum. So I'm calling you to look radically different. Matthew chapter 5 now in verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It never says in the Old Testament to hate your enemy. What happened was, is that there's a calling in the Old Testament to love your neighbor. And the, the unintended um, kind of inference there that, be, that began to weave its way in tradition was, well, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, then we can hate our enemy. And so what's happening here is a revelation that what God says is not always what we hear. And what I mean by that is, like, I preach sometimes, and I'm like, wow, man, like, it was so cool to see God move, and, and that sort of thing, and, and somebody will come up to me on the patio and they will, uh, and they'll, they'll say, hey, pastor. Now, sometimes it's a good thing. Like, sometimes the Holy Spirit actually told them something, and that's good. But sometimes they say something, and I'm like, that's really, I'm like thinking in my head, that's really weird. And I didn't say that. I'm not sure how you heard that. And that's kind of what happened over years and years is all of a sudden people began to insert their own inference into this particular text. And it wasn't something that was in scripture, but it was something that had taken root in the people of God. And so Jesus is correcting this, even though it wasn't um, Old Testament text, he's still correcting what was taking place, like what had uh, developed there. And so it's a really important thing for us to ask is, um, hey, how, like, how am I checking myself? What does this look like for me? What's the internal spiritual issue that I have if I'm leaning towards uh, hate or uh, feelings of um, hurt or, or, or um, just uh, arrogance towards somebody? Instead of always pointing the finger at them, what does the spirit want to do and what's the opportunity to look inward? Verse 45, in that way, so when you love your enemy and when you love your, and when you pray for those who persecute you, this is what happens, verse 45, in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And this is why it's so vital. 
Go look throughout the Gospels. Great assignment for you. Go look throughout the Gospels. Anywhere where Jesus talks about loving your enemy, anywhere he talks about loving your neighbor, anywhere he talks about loving those who persecute you, anywhere he talks about loving anybody or creating peace or anything like that, it is in those moments that he says, this is when you will look like my disciples. When you love one another, you'll look like my disciples. When you love your enemy, you're gonna look like my children. When you are peacemakers, that is when you look like my children. That's when you reflect me. But here's what we do. Again, inference. God, when I show up for church, is that when I look like you? Is that okay? Is that enough? God, is, is, is it just like extra credit to be a peacemaker? Is it extra credit to love my, my enemy? Because I'm really good with being like a B plus Christian. I really don't need to be an A plus Christian. And I don't need to be an A plus follower of Jesus. And I'm telling you that this is not extra. It's foundational to following Jesus. And any time that we find ourselves trying to make this extra, we gotta check our butt. And remind ourselves, remind ourselves that this is essential to what it means to follow Jesus. You look like your father. Now, again, if Dana tells me you're acting just like your dad, I take offense to that, right? I love you, Dad, but you understand what I mean, right? He's probably watching right now, so I wanted to make sure I clarified that. <laughs> but all of us, that, like, that's the way we get each other, right? Like, you're just acting like this person. You're, no, but the scriptures say that when you are peacemakers, when you are about creating peace, not when you're a peacekeeper, but when you are a peacemaker, you reflect your father. This is how people will know that you are God's children. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Think about the person that is the most corrupted person in your particular mind, in your particular culture, in your particular sphere. This is, add that in if the tax collectors doesn't make sense. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different than anyone else? Even the pagans, even those who believe in many gods, even those who don't believe in God, even those who are far from God do that sort of thing. But you are to be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. Peacemakers won't stand out if they look like everyone else. And if I can be really honest with you, church, there has been way too often over the last many years where we don't look distinctly different than the tactics and the way that we wound and the way that we treat people. We look just like everyone else. And so just a few things to think about. First one is this. Peace is a gift we receive in prayer. You cannot be a peacemaker until you commune with God and receive his peace into your life. And so you can try with willpower and you can try all the tactics and you can do everything, but until you allow yourself to commune with your heavenly father and you encounter Jesus and allow his spirit to fill you. In fact, this is what's so beautiful about this particular text is that Jesus knows that you can't do this on your own. And yet he gives us the command and the call. 
And so he invites us to commune with him so that we could receive his peace. And as we receive his peace, we have something to give. This is also how you know this isn't something you can do on your own. John chapter 14, verse 27 says this. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Do you hear that? The world can't not give that. So going into those difficult situations, you will not be able to self-medicate yourself enough. You cannot kind of self-talk yourself enough or self-help yourself enough. This is something that you can't get from anything else. You need the supernatural presence of God to be able to fill you up so that you are overflowing with his peace so that you can be a peacemaker. This is something you can't do on your own. And here's something to consider. In order to do that, in order to spend time with God, in order to be filled up, you need to create margin in your life. Yes, in the busiest, most hustling season of the year, you need to create margin so that you can spend time with God. See, Some of us go from event to event to this to that to the kids' activities to this to that to decorating and all over and shopping and spending and going in debt and then we show up at Christmas dinner with people that we are already frustrated with and we're like, why is this such a nightmare? Well, it's pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. The second thing is shift your expectations. You being a peacemaker is not about soliciting a particular response from people. It doesn't say anywhere in the text, be a peacemaker so that people respond with peace. That's karma. That's culture. That's not what the scripture says. Be a peacemaker, not so that, in fact, I will share it this way. I'll just get really gut level honest with you. If you go into this season or if you're thinking about somebody right now that you're going to go, hey, how do I become a peacemaker in this particular relationship? If you go into that relationship and you are a peacemaker, there is a high likelihood that they won't respond kindly. High likelihood. So the goal of peacemaking is not that they will respond how you want them to. The fruit of peacemaking is that we will reflect our Father. So that's what you have to look at. You have to go, okay, I need to do this. I'm called to do this, not so that they'll be nice to me or not so that everything's gonna go perfect because it still probably won't. But that's not what you have control over. You don't have control over other people's reactions. You don't have control over how they, how they dictate things or how they respond to, be, to respond to things. You do have control over. You're calling to be a peacemaker and to creating an atmosphere of peace. And why is it important that we create an atmosphere of peace? Because then we reflect God. God. And when God is invited into spaces, just like we said last week, when God is invited to spaces, there's no telling what might happen and what is possible. So we have hope that the miraculous could take place and relationships could be healed and generational sin could be broken and wounds could be mended. And we might see each other differently. And so it's not about them responding in a particular way. It's about me reflecting my heavenly father. And third, be the host. Be the host. In every situation that you watch Jesus walk into throughout the, um, new, throughout the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, when Jesus walks into those houses, when he walks into spaces with people, he is the one who has the greatest authority and yet he becomes the servant or the host. 
every situation. Look through it. He, he's constantly taking on the, the form of a host in those particular moments. In fact, when Jesus gathers with his disciples the night before he was betrayed, he takes off his cloak and he takes a water basin and a towel and washes his disciples' feet. And he doesn't just wash his disciples' feet like Peter who's gonna deny him and then come back to him upon uh, that rock on which he will build the church. No, he washes, he washes Judas's feet. Every single person, when he's in a situation with tax collectors and Pharisees and and sinners, Jesus becomes the host. He's always becoming the host. He's always creating the environment so that the grace of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and mercy of God can be experienced if people are receptive to it. He's not responsible for the response. He's responsible for people actually experiencing and encountering the risen Christ. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to do that. And so often we want to kind of control the response, but he hasn't called us to control the response. He's called us to control the environment. So let me give you this. I have not turned my heat on in my house yet because I'm cheap. I got it ready though. I I had somebody in our congregation come over and check the heater to make sure it was working function. I got all our carbon monoxide things, make sure they all were working right because we're going to turn on that. I got everything ready. And the reason I got it ready is because next week, Nana's coming to town. And when Nana comes to town, unlike my kids, like my kids, they're like, it's cold in here. I'm like, put something else on. Like, that's just how I think, right? But when Nana comes to town, I want Nana to feel welcomed. I turn into the host, right? And here's what, here's the difference. When When Nana's not there, I let the temperature just dictate the thermostat in the house. So if it's hot outside, it's hot inside. If it's cold inside, I mean, cold outside, it's gonna be cold inside. And I let that be dictated. But when Nana comes to town, I don't let the temperature or, 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 or thermometer dictate that. I let the thermostat be set to where I want it to be set. Guess who controls the thermostat? So I know what will make Nana feel welcome. And so I dial that thermostat in. (laughs) 80, I like that. I dial that thermostat in so that Nana feels welcome. So that she's not cold. I don't ask her to get up to my temperature or down to my temperature. I create an environment where she feels welcome. And so we, as the people of God, as we create peace, we have the opportunity to create an environment, not where everybody's gonna agree with you, not where everybody's gonna think you're right, not where everybody's gonna act just the way that you want them to act, but we can control the thermostat, the temperature, and we can create an atmosphere and the environment where the Holy Spirit is present and where God is present. And when we do that, when God is present and people are sensing him, What seemed impossible becomes possible. What seems where there was no hope, there is hope. And where there was conflict, there can now be potentially peace. A couple ways to do this. Get curious about the people that you have conflict with. Specifically if it's in that wrong category. Like, 
you don't believe in God, I do. You vote for this person, I vote for that person. Like, if it's in that category, get curious about them. Rather than trying to defend your views or whatever, just ask them questions about themselves. Hey, what brought you to that conclusion? Hey, you know, what, what are some of the reasons why that, that you are voting for that person? And instead of going, well, you know this, and you know that. No, 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 no. Get curious. Get curious about other things, not just those hot topics. Get curious about things in their life. Hey, what's been going on in your life? What has been the hardest subject you've been going through? What's been the best subject that you've been going through? How's work been going? Ask, get curious about people because when you get curious about people, you stop seeing them as a threat and you start seeing them as image bearers. We have the opportunity to pull out of people the beauty and wonder that God created them with. So get curious about them. And then the second thing, you can only control your attitude, your words, where you are. You are the one that's going to set the thermostat. Can't control other people's reactions. You set the thermostat. You know, when Jesus gathered his disciples together, that's exactly what he did. He said, this is my broken body, which will be given for you. This is my shed blood, which will be given for you. He set the thermostat of what love and grace and compassion looked like. He set the price for what forgiveness and peace would cost. It's self-sacrificing. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that Jesus met us where we were, while we were still sinners. And so when we come up here in a moment and you take up these elements and you go back to your seat, I want you to kind of just sit with those. And I wanna imagine again, not your table at Christmas, but now you're at Jesus's table and he is the host and he has invited you to be there in all of your sin and all of your mess and all of your brokenness and all of the ways that you have wronged him and all the ways that when he pursued you, you didn't respond to him he still invites you to come to his table. He models that for us. And as we receive his grace and as we receive his love and as we receive his forgiveness, I'm reminded of that this morning, then we become the channel by which we can freely give. So as the servers come forward and take their places and our worship team is going to lead us I wanna invite you to come forward. You're gonna leave from the front. You're gonna leave to your left. Come forward, receive these elements and then return to your seat on the right. Once everybody has been served, I'll come back up and we will partake of the elements together. So the table has been set. Your host, Jesus, invites you to come and be reminded of and receive afresh his forgiveness, his peace, and his love. Just
as our final people are being served, again, I just want you to receive. While we were still sinners, Christ died to extend his forgiveness, his love, and to create peace between us and God and us and one another. He did that in advance. So as we freely give, or as we freely receive, we will be able to freely give. The night that Jesus would be betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So take and eat and remember Christ's sacrifice for you. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant that will be made through my shed blood. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread or you drink of this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his peace, his joy until he comes again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting us where we are at. God, we lift up individuals that maybe are feeling a sense of being unsettled or chaos in their own lives. God, would you bring your peace that surpasses all understanding into their life? God, we also lift up those who have relationships that have been fractured or on life support or are wounded or at odds with one another. God, we pray that you would come and you would redeem and restore those broken relationships. And God, may we, as your children, reflect your love and your grace and your peace and your joy to the world. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, would you stand with me this morning? I know that this type of message can stir up some emotions and relationships that you have. And we have an incredible prayer team that would love to minister to you. And so we just invite you to come forward. If you want someone to intercede over a particular relationship or for you in a particular area, we just invite you to come forward at the end of service. If you are like, hey, I want to know how to follow Jesus. I'm not even sure about who Jesus is and I want to learn how to follow him. We invite you to come forward. We'd love to share with you how you can receive the forgiveness of Christ and experience his love and his mercy in your life and begin following and walking with him. As you go today, may you go as those who are called to be peacemakers. And be confident of this, that he who has began a good work in you today will be faithful to complete it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.